0: you want to find your tribe of raving fans, I'm going to help you do it. This is the Digging Deep podcast with 360 Media, where we help you do better business. Hey everybody, this is Justin Lamb, and you're watching episode five of Digging Deep, where we help business owners build better businesses. Today, I'm in, uh, joined here by a certified geek, uh, rightly named uh, on his own. He's been a competitive rower a member of the Shriners and is a proud supporter of nonprofit organizations. I want to all to meet Jeremy Cowell from CPG Systems. Jeremy, how's it going?
1: I'm doing great, Justin. Thanks. How are you?
0: Oh, good. So what's it like, uh, it's pandemonium in the world. What's it like in your world?
1: Uh, very much the same. It's been pretty hectic, getting people and companies able to work remotely um and trying to help promote social isolation
0: yeah so i mean um in a couple episodes uh previous i talked to a person about cybersecurity and remote work what um from your point of view you're an it company cbgsystems.ca um and you guys specialize as an it department an outsourced it department is
1: that correct that is correct yeah
0: amazing and can you tell me um what's the value of having an IT department externally versus say internal maybe
1: well there's there's a number of advantages uh, the first of which is the cost factor we can actually show the math which uh, which supports that it's more cost effective to outsource a lot of IT set, IT functions until you hit about 90 or 110 people somewhere in that range. So if you've got a a company larger than that, then it makes sense to have somebody in house. Uh, if you've got anything smaller than that, then it usually makes more financial sense to outsource it. Of course, Hmm. the other consideration is, uh, better coverage, better exposure, to, or less exposure to risks because we have a, a broader base of experience. And you've got things you don't have to worry about, like vacation coverage. You know, if you've got 25 people and one of them is your IT person, what happens when he goes on vacation and then the website crashes? So we've got a broader range of experience than one person working in Housewood. Uh, the costs are completely different and you know we've always got somebody to cover for you um if somebody goes on vacation
0: <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that i have a friend who works as uh one of the lead it people in in a very uh prominent manufacturing um company and uh it doesn't matter where he is when he's on vacation. Uh, if the phone rings his vacation ends promptly no matter where he is in the world. So uh, sucks for him, but, uh, (laughs) I guess, uh, that's the way some companies have to operate. So in terms of like your, your clients now, um, with COVID-19 being such a, a, a major sort of bump in the road for all these businesses, um, you know, how does, how does remote working work for those people who maybe don't understand what remote working really means?
1: Well, there's a couple ways that it can work, and it really depends on the needs of the organization. Not every organization is the same. Uh, not every organization's needs are going to be the same. On the one hand, you can look at it in terms of being able to use remote tools to get to your regular workstation. So if you're sitting at home, you're on your own personal computer at home, you put in a username, you put in a password, you uh, put in the two-factor authentication code, and then all of a sudden you can see your own workstation. You've, You've got the ability to log into your office computer just like you were sitting in front of it. So that's one way. Another way that works for some companies is they're using remote file sharing tools so something i i don't want to say like dropbox because i've got strong opinions about that particular product um but we'll say tools of that class but actual business uh business focused products where you can have granular permissions you can say okay this group has access to this folder and this other group has access to this other folder but there's no crossover and having the ability to work on those files simultaneously uh, two people editing word documents and excel spreadsheets at the same time and independent of physical location so one person could be at home on the north shore another person could be at home on the south shore And they're both accessing the file. Somebody could be stuck in a different province. You're all accessing the same file. It really depends on the situation as to what's the best approach. The important part is that these approaches don't have to cost a ton of money. A lot of them are free or very close to it. And there's a solution out there that meets your organization's unique needs.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. So I'm going to back that up a little bit. And you mentioned, uh, you have a, uh, an issue, interesting issue with Dropbox. And I think Dropbox is such a common thing, especially in the entrepreneur space, um, and small businesses. Uh, maybe you can, you know, without going into the deep and dirty, uh, unless somebody sets in the comments below, um, that they want to know a little bit more in which case they'll can connect with you. But maybe a general overview of why Dropbox might not be the best solution um, or uh, a very kind of interesting um, uh, thing in your world and, and why it, it, you might uh, advise against it.
1: Well, there's a couple reasons. Uh, the first being that Dropbox was designed as a consumer product. It was never designed as a business class, Product, so it doesn't have a lot of the business class features. Another problem is that with Dropbox, if you have, say, uh, 50 gigs worth of Dropbox storage, that's not a whole lot in comparison to some of the others that are out there. You can look at Teams, and Teams gives you one terabyte per team. So if you've got five teams, you've got five terabytes of storage. So that, that's, that's not even apples to oranges, that's kind of like apples to scissors. I mean, it's not even the same class. And of course, then there's the fact that Dropbox takes space on your local computer. So what, however big your Dropbox repository is, if you're syncing those files to your computer, then it's taking space on your computer.
0: And that's an interesting point. And so what I don't think a lot of people realize is, especially because everybody works on laptops nowadays, and particularly the Apple um, products are very small um, in hard drive space. And people often wonder as well, why am I running out of space? And it's because they're dumping so much stuff on Dropbox, but it adds some some level of cash on, on the hard drive where it eats up your hard drive space. Um, we know um, only because we deal with such massive files and we had to move off of Dropbox uh, for that very reason. And, you know, we moved to Google Drive and then, uh, I mean, in addition to the NOS systems that we have here, um, you know, we, we we had to move off of Dropbox because, I mean, after a terabyte worth of data, it just clogs up the entire system.
1: Absolutely. Uh, There is the actual file storage itself. There is a cache. And if you look at a program like Teams, there is a bit of a cache. But on on Windows computers, it will automatically clear itself up in seven days. Mm -hmm. So you don't run into the same sort of problem. I've got probably about 2.2 terabytes worth of data. And I take it with me everywhere. Uh, I've got access to it on all my devices, including my mobile. And the files are just downloaded on demand. The other big challenge with Dropbox is that over the years, it's been hacked so many times that there's kind of like a hacker Boy Scout badge for, hey, I, dro- I hacked Dropbox too. Uh, and, and it's just, it's, it's, it's not even funny anymore. It and is when you talk about it like that. Maybe, maybe I don't know. <laughs> um yes, I've I've got my Boy Scout badge. <laughs> um the 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 reality is is it's such a big target. And like it or not, the common prevalence for people is that they've got one email address and one password that they use in 20 different locations. Mm-hmm. So when the bad guys are going after Dropbox, they don't care about your data. They don't want to know what's in your files what they're going after is your username and password because they know that chances are you're using that same username and password someplace else. So if they hack Dropbox, they get into the Dropbox user database. They've got access to a whole bunch of different things that you're doing on the internet.
0: Hmm. Yeah, That's an interesting conundrum. I think, from a consumer standpoint, and most entrepreneurs, when they're bootstrapping, they basically go after consumer products. Um, you know, and and I think part of it is an assumption that uh, commercial grade products have a have a higher price tag associated with it. Now, part of that cost has to to be involved with um, you know the protection level that they offer versus a consumer product. Can you maybe talk about a little bit? Uh, about that kind of difference, you know, by by going for something as consumer oriented as Dropbox and maybe another platform that is maybe more commercially oriented?
1: You know, uh, Teams, the one that I mentioned earlier is a great example of that. And right now with the COVID-19 outbreak that's happening and the social distancing, Microsoft has actually made that product free. Uh, So Teams is now free for the foreseeable future and one of the big differentiators is two-factor authentication plain and simple if you're looking at other applications that do have a little bit more of a a commercial focus you know even if you're looking at the g suite it's possible to turn on two-factor authentication
0: it is. We do that here at the studio. It's annoying some days, but we do it because of the security
1: reasons. And that's why a lot of people choose not to, especially mm-hmm. if they're if they're in the startup bootstrap stage, is because they're so busy trying to get things done that security comes as an afterthought. If you look at a product like LastPass, the the free password manager, LastPass lets you have two factor authentication. So Mm -hmm. when you're signing into LastPass, you have to have your mobile phone. And for those companies that are maybe a little bit more established or that have more of a security-focused mindset, it is possible to enforce passwords and two factors with LastPass or Dashlane or some of the other password products out there. So it's possible. And, And then you've also got the central management which makes life nice and easy. So there there are a lot of options that are out there so that you don't have to compromise. You can still be safe. And realistically, it's not going to cost you a bomb. It's not going to cost you a fortune to get into these things. It's just, it's simply a state of mind.
0: Yeah, I could totally understand. I mean, when... When I was first introduced to LastPass, I, I was I enjoyed it, but I didn't realize how uh, critical it would be as we expanded our teams and uh, to remote places where I had to give them access. And using LastPass um, allows me to change passwords when I need to. Um, But then not be able to not not having to affect the the ability for the people overseas or you know in different locations to be able to access that, and not having to give up my passwords anywhere because I just don't know if everybody else is uh, is well protected or is uh, uh, I guess protective of the data that they have uh, here. Absolutely. So then uh, another question that I have is um, when working remote. We talked about um, being able to log into a remote desktop and then of course being able to then file share. Uh, I think remote desktops are kind of um, a trending thing where I think people realize that you know you could indeed um, do that and and using you know software uh, like um, let's see what's a good one that's out there that's fairly um, team viewer. Team viewer. Log yeah, me so in. Log yeah, definitely log me in. Um so what is the difference between those and something like a VPN where you have another layer um sort of separating a person getting into uh, a, their data, like you know, using a VPN system versus just an online Wi-Fi um, you know, product like log me in
1: or team viewer? So with log me in or team viewer, then again. You're looking at a subscription-based product, so it's something that you have to pay for. Um, And they can be secured with two-factor authentication, which is always the preference. If you're going to have a weak password, then honestly, you, you might as well just take a picture of your SIN number and put that up on your Facebook page seriously um, it's it's the if you're if you're not even going to try with the passwords then then just don't bother just go home um, log me in versus team viewer it's kind of a bit of a wash the the main difference functionally speaking has to do with price team viewer is a bit more expensive uh, log me in you can get into log me in subscriptions that are not obscenely expensive. And then sometimes through service providers like us, we have access to custom log me in tools, which we can resell on a month to month basis uh, or on a per computer basis. Your IT company can probably help you with something like that, it's a little different. As opposed to using a VPN and then standard Windows remote remote desktop. The standard Windows remote desktop is a good tool. It's a valuable tool. Just don't expose it to the naked internet. So don't punch a hole through your firewall so that you can access remote desktop from the outside in. Uh, If you do that, I, I will bet you dinner, when the restaurant's open, that I can show you that your computer is being attacked regularly.
0: Okay. And so I think for the people who are watching or viewing this might not understand when you talk about punching a hole through, um, what are some things that uh, people would have done uh, or commonly do
1: uh, that would expose that? So very often it's called port forwarding or um application forwarding on your on your home firewall um or your home router, you know if you've got a a Telus connection or a Shaw connection, you can go in and you can set up different rules that say allow this application to go through. Mm-hmm. so if you're allowing traffic from the outside to come inside, then if it's remote desktop, even if you're changing the numbers then you know the the bad actors honestly they're just using sweep tools automatic sweep tools that are just going out there searching the whole internet going hey let's find me some open holes in somebody's firewall in somebody's router and they don't care they'll they'll just they'll start hammering everybody until they find a hole Hmm. The, the the takeaway is that if you're trying to open up holes in a security device whether that's a router, whether that's a firewall. If you're trying to open holes from the outside in to allow something through, then that's generally a vulnerability. What you want to do instead is you want to have a way to have a secure connection from the outside to the gateway device itself.
0: Hmm. So I'm going to guess if somebody has uh, questions or doesn't really understand if they're compromised at this point, that they could reach out to you at cpgsystems.ca?
1: Absolutely.
0: Awesome. So, you know, for those people watching or people listening here on Spotify, um, you know, feel free to to reach out to Jeremy if you have questions about that, because I think that's really important. for a organization like mine who runs through terabytes worth of data and some of that stuff is, uh, not privy to other eyes. I mean, even when we're finished the product, we have to delete them off our systems. Uh, it's imperative that we really try our best to uh, protect it as, as well as we can. Um, so it it is something that I think people need to to look into. So the other thing I think people are going, um, into, well, while they're working remote is using stuff on their phone. Um, and, and accessing their their files and, and stuff uh, while they're out and about, or, or using their mobile devices you know at home because they're just too lazy to sit on a laptop. Um, you know, what type of security uh, do they need to, to look out for or have on their phones in order to protect themselves?
1: Well, there's two main things that you can do. The first is only get applications from your platform's app store. So if you're using an Apple phone and uh, an iPad, then only get applications from, uh, from iTunes. If you're on Android, then only get things from Google Play. Do not go directly to the application developer's website and install applications from that location. Uh, that's inherently unsafe. The other thing that we would recommend is, you can actually get antivirus for your mobile device. It does matter. It does make a difference, and it can really save your bacon. Most of them are free. So that's uh, really
0: interesting because, um, you know, I don't think many people, and myself included, really um, don't really know about what antivirus software looks like on. Um, on a phone. So, you know, do you have a couple of names, maybe from either platform that you can kind of toss out there for people to kind of look into?
1: Yeah, there's, there's a few, so you can look at, uh, I believe Bitdefender still has a free mobile application. Uh, I believe WebRoot does as well, WebRoot,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which is known for being very fast and very light if you want to get into some of the some of the more robust programs there can sometimes be costs associated with it but also for larger organizations the flip side to that is that you're also wrapping in mobile device management so as an employer if you're handing out a bunch of cell phones to your employees there are quick and relatively easy ways to go out and control the applications that are installed, control the behavior of the phone and do things like enforce security policies for your staff. Hmm, So it's, it's, you can look at it from both sides. Uh, The best antivirus on the phone is the one that you never see that you never notice and that you forget it. You kind of forget is there.
0: Hmm. So that's interesting that you said that because I think traditionally for me, especially, um, you know, growing up through the the uh, the age of Norton and McAfee, um, I always found that uh, that type of software really bloats or slows down the system. Has that changed at all in the last maybe five, six
1: years? It has. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind is that you're, we're now at the leading edge of a quantum shift in how antivirus works in the first place. Um, so. the, the idea of definition-based antivirus is really kind of going the way of the dodo. Yeah. It's definition-based antivirus at this point borders on slightly less than useless simply because by the time the definition comes in, the, there's so many zero-day exploits out there. And even if you're updating your computer three, four, five times a day, the definitions report on what they see happening. So that means if if a bad actor downloads some ransomware onto your machine somehow or another, you know, you visit a bad website or you open a, a Word document and go, <laughs> whoops. Um, the Antivirus reacts based on what it sees happening. So you've already clicked something. You've already given it permission to run. And the antivirus is react, It's reacting at that point to what has already happened on your machine. Hmm. And then it goes, oh, yes, I recognize this behavior. And then it shuts it down. Hmm. In the meantime... The payload is already executed. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, the, the definition type uh, antivirus is is really, it's on its way out. It it really is, and and you're starting to look at uh, a lot of programs that have the letters EDR behind them, which is enhanced detection and response. Hmm. So that's where you're starting to get into actual. AI you're getting into actual machine learning and and you're starting to get into some some real top-end very functional antivirus products uh and and they're not even called antivirus anymore they're now called endpoint protection there's there's even some out there right now this this is really cool um let's say that you get uh some ransomware on your computer The antivirus will, or the endpoint protection, will recognize the behavior. If the endpoint protection and the firewall are the same manufacturer, uh, what it will do is it will, the endpoint will actually self-report to the firewall. The firewall will then isolate that endpoint so that it cannot call out, it cannot travel laterally, that one endpoint will be completely isolated from the rest of the network automatically, and then the endpoint protection software will roll back the changes made by the ransomware, and then it will, it will clean the infection, it will develop for you an intrusion report to show you exactly what happened step by step by step by step. These are the things that happened that led to the compromise in the first place. And then it will whitelist itself, and the firewall will go, Okay, you can pass traffic again.
0: Oh, that's amazing. It's sort of like vaccines. Yeah. Too bad they yeah. don't have it for COVID 19. <laughs>
1: I know. Uh, it would make everybody's life so much easier. I know.
0: Uh, so then one of the other things that, are, that is happening, I guess, is that because people are working remote, I think there's a lot of fear about like now the office is using their phone number and the people are using their own personal phone numbers and, and phone and data plans to kind of uh, manage the work at um, at the office and or their business. Uh, for those people who are in that scenario, whether you're it's, it's a it's an owner talking to staff, or you know a person who might be a staff member working for a business an organization, you know, are there ways around it um, where we can still you know use phones and not have like three or four of them in our hands, um, but still be able to to access that and keep our own personal stuff uh, aside from it?
1: Absolutely, there are. Uh, applications. There's different products out there. Most of them are are based around voice over IP, where you can customize the caller ID, you can customize the call display, uh, and and of course, I've I've got to be a little cautious in in divulging too much about this because this is one of the tools that some of the phone scammers will use is they'll Mm -hmm. they'll use platforms like this as well but they can be used for good um it doesn't always have to be about the scammers and and the people from uh the people claiming to be from cra you will be arrested tomorrow unless you press nine um there there are tools that you can do which you can use again they're not stupidly expensive You can get, you can place phone calls from your computer. You can, you can get an extra application which runs on your mobile. You know, I've, I've got, I've got my regular dialer on my phone and then I've also got another program which I use, which is a completely different dialer. And so I can make business calls with my business number off my regular cell phone. Hmm. Um, and and it, it all ties in to the company phone system. So from an optic perspective, I'm not giving out my cell phone number if I don't want to. I'm not giving out my home phone number. And from a, a marketing perspective, I'm still promoting the same caller ID, the same call display, that I would previously.
0: Interesting, cool. Um, and so I think one of the other questions that I, I have now is that um, nonprofits is something that I, I kind of briefly mentioned that you're a proud supporter of, and you know they suffer with IT issues, and, and I think even more so they have a lot of people who are very transient in and out of their organization. Um, how does say CPG systems help those people and more so in in the way that they can help their teams work more efficiently and more remote um, and and be able to still move the needle in a time like this? Right.
1: So, and, and that's, that's a very big question um, with I mean, we could, we could do a whole separate discussion on tools that are available for nonprofits.
0: I guess we're just going to have to do another podcast later.
1: Jamie. We may have to. Um, we may have to. The The reality is that I, I myself have been uh, on the board of directors of charities. I've been a volunteer for charities and done it work for them. Uh, i've been on governance boards i've been on working boards uh, i've been the chair of a board and and so i see it from both sides of the coin from a charity perspective you know there's a lot of ways that you can change the math and executive directors and, and fundraising people know exactly what i mean when i say uh there are ways to change the program allocations. Hmm. Uh, and, And for charities, that's big. The other thing that we do is that we actively promote for our charity customers, taking advantage of programs that are available for charities and nonprofits many IT companies are like, no, 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 you have to use our software, you have to use our brands, you have to use our vendors. And we've done things a little differently, where we have certain products that we know are available through charity programs, and we promote those. So you can get best of breed, you can get operational excellence and you can still get the charity pricing that you really crave.
0: Oh, that's really great. I think uh, a lot of people will be really interested in that. So hopefully uh, somebody out there listening who is part of an NGO or MPO, we um, will find uh, that a, a very interesting uh, topic and maybe connect with you about that. Um, finally, what I really uh, want to try to leave listeners with is a resource, um, could be anything either related to your your industry or a book or whatever it is what would be a resource that you would recommend somebody um, look at or or pursue uh, should they have the time seeing that they're all locked down at home now anyways
1: hmm well for charities uh of course we strongly recommend uh taking a good long cruise through the TechSoup soup website um, there are a lot of there's a lot of educational material buried in the background of TechSoup that a lot of a lot of organizations don't see. Um, in In terms of general business, the big thing that I would be cautious about right now is if if you're looking for something that you want to read up on, then I would start reading up on cybersecurity. Uh different websites like Krebs, uh that's K-R-E-B-S. Uh, Krebs on security is a good one. Um there's the uh Cybersecurity Alliance is another one. The as as much as Ransomware has become uh, almost a bit of a, a catchphrase over the past year, or so year six months to a year. I, I think you're really going to see a lot more activity. So business owners need to start thinking differently when it comes to cybersecurity, simply because the bad actors and and when I say bad actor, I don't mean William Shatner. Um, the the bad actor is is the technical term used in the cybersecurity realm for the the bad guys the hackers the spammers the bad actors have realized that they can effectively monetize their efforts and with that knowledge comes a redoubled determination on their part to get to your data hmm and and the number of robots that are out there right now trying to do exactly that is truly frightening Ooh, that's really scary stuff so so i'd read up on on cybersecurity if you're a if you're a small business small mid-sized business if you're a charity i'd look at the resources the educational stuff on TechSoup. and if you're still trying to scale um of course the the book scaling up is still our Bible. Fantastic.
0: Well, thanks so much for taking your time uh to chat with me today. I'm gonna make sure we try to keep it brief because I don't want to bore people uh talking about geek stuff all the time. Um, but I do want to thank you and I'm sure if uh, uh we have the opportunity, we're gonna come back to another podcast and maybe dive down the NGO MPO uh kind of realm. And if you are an MPO or NGO um uh executive, uh, perhaps listening to this podcast. If you have comments or questions and you want to know more, feel free to reach out, uh, follow or comment, and uh, it'll allow us to to reach out to Jeremy again for some of his precious time. Uh, For the time being, if you guys found value in this uh, podcast and video, uh, please feel free to uh, give us a like, and even better, subscribe, follow us, uh, so we can bring you more content. Uh, for the time being. Thank you very much, Jeremy. And uh, just hold on for a little bit. uh, And we'll just connect with you after here.
1: Thanks very much for your time, Justin. Awesome.